This episode of EM Weekly has been archived. The ideas presented by the former host of EM Weekly may not reflect or represent the values of the Readiness Lab and the Doberman Emergency Management Group. Out of respect for the guests who contributed to this episode, it remains available online. EM Weekly starting right now, bringing emergency managers from around the world together to learn, share, and collaborate. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Good morning and good afternoon, wherever you're at. And uh, today is definitely going to be a, a great conversation because I have a guest back here that you guys all know, Kelly McKinney. Kelly, welcome to Ian Weekly. Thank you, sir. It's great to see you. Great to see you too. So, Kelly, I, I have, if you notice, I don't have my little earbuds in today. I got, I have cans on, and, and that's the reason why I can't wear the Kansas City hat today because I have. Hands on so, oh, so that's the reason. That's the, <laughs> that's the, so that's the reason. After after our bet, that we we had a bet on the on the on the Bills Chiefs game, and it seems like I don't know. It's like my it seems like we talked about how if the if the if the Bills won, I would wear a Bills hat on the show, and I would say Todd is a god. That was the that was the deal. Yeah. But then the other side of it was. What was the other side, Todd? I'm so, so I will, I will wear the Kansas hat, Kansas City Chiefs hat, proudly, and and I will say Kelly and point to the hat here. It's, it visualizes right. I have to do some <laughs> visualization today. I say Kelly is God, and then Kansas City beat my Buffalo Bills, and I cried a little bit, a little tear <laughs> went down my. Down my eye for a half a second, and I wiped it. I realized it was just wind blowing in my face. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think you should just say Mahomes is a god and leave That's it. True. Mahomes, he's amazing. And speaking of that, I mean, like, I mean, you know, at least we have something to talk about other than like disasters and COVID and stuff. So I think, I think, right, I think Super Bowl and, and the stuff is, is, is a good break for all the strife that we've had coming over the last few months, last year. And, Summer violence, and then of course the, the sixth of uh, January, and all that kind of stuff. So, I think a little bit break from the from the carnage. Completely, completely agree. You need we need we need football. We need all the, you know, we need to get back to all those uh, uh, the the divi- the diversions, right? That sort of, uh, you know, um, added to the to the quality of life it's been it's been a tough year and in fact we were talking in my um department yesterday 27th of january was one year since we activated for what was then called 2019 novel coronavirus so it's been a long year man really long it has been a long year it seems like it's not ending you know i mean the president came out the other day talking about how uh you know this there's no there's no short end in, in sight. And I know a lot of people really felt that once uh, the Biden administration took the cold that, you know, all the answers of the world are going to happen and, and coronavirus is going to be, be, be cured. But obviously that's not the case. And, and uh, we have to really think, uh, we have to really think about this, right? Like, like what the, what the plan of attack is. And, and the, now the cool thing is that we do have the, 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 uh, the shot, right? You know, and then people are getting their shots. Um, although you know, it's, it's slow roll. We got some issues with that, and then, you know, we got FEMA changing changing hands over here, and we got that. So we got a lot to talk about today, Kelly. So, 
let's uh let's start with FEMA first, since it looks like rightfully so, looks like the president's tapping FEMA to to run this rollout with the vaccines. Um, you know, using things that we've talked about and planned for 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 you know, amazingly that we we plan for pods and uh now we're gonna be able to use them. And it seems like they're they're getting it played out and let's kind of go with that. Let's talk about FEMA first. So you know or you've or, or dealt or met and had some interactions with with the new director of, uh, of uh, or the administrator of FEMA. Tell me a little bit about her and and, and what you know and, and how she's going to change uh, some directions over there. Well, uh, Deanne Criswell, um, I don't know her well. I know her by reputation and I know, uh, you know, I was, I was eight years at that agency. And so um, we, it seems like uh, that, that we communicate through others. I, you know, I always say, you know, we got to go have coffee and, and that kind of thing. So I don't know her well, but I do know um, what she's done there. And I know, um, you know, her, uh, the, the, um, you know, the opinion that her uh, agency and that staff have developed about her and her capabilities. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm super excited about this. And, and I think she's the right person in the right place at the right time. I think it's a, it's a, um, she's, she's certainly qualified. She spent the last, uh, two years in the, uh, you know, in the purifying fires of New York city government. Um, there's no better place to learn disasters than here. And I, I, I think, so, uh, I think she was a week in the job when, um, there was a six network crash of the Con Edison power grid in Manhattan on a Saturday night, about seven o'clock. And uh, I don't even know she was, she might've been two days in the job and, and she just, uh, you know, she, she stepped right in. She, she led the press conference. I think the mayor was somewhere else. Um, so she's been in the, she's been in the middle of the job since day one, you know, and then obviously the last year leading the coronavirus effort. So, you know, uh, you know, Todd, you and I've had this conversation a number of times, you know, I, I, I wrote a book. I wrote a book because I, I spent so much time in New York City government, uh, you know, at OEM. I think it's, uh, you know, one of the best, you know, local emergency management agencies uh, anywhere. And and it's there's a number of reasons for that. I mean, it's well-resourced because of uh, uh, the history of disasters in New York. But anyway, I, I just think that, you know, she's she's uh, she comes from FEMA. She was an FCO at FEMA. She was uh, uh, she was a, an officer in the in the U.S. Air Force for many years, and um, you know, in a first responder position, she is. Uh, uh, and then she spent this, I think this two year, you know, sort of uh, almost boot camp learning the fundamentals of of the local side of the business, right? So I think she's perfectly placed, and uh, you know, it's a tough job to step into for sure. Yeah, it is. You know, it's it's funny. I I spoken to a few of the uh, former FEMA administrators, you know, um, and they've been on the show and, and, and all of them are like, it is a, a grind uh, to be in that position. Politically speaking, uh, the, the off tempo, um, you, you know, it's, it's definitely not for the faint of heart to step into that role. You know? And so, and, and like everything else, we want to make sure that our FEMA administrators uh, are, are successful in what they do. And, and I really do hope um she comes up and, and, and does a great job. Now, obviously, historically speaking, the first female to run uh, to run FEMA, I think that's kind of exciting. Uh, and and one of the things that we talk about here a lot is is really getting more uh, diverse opinions into 
into emergency management. And I think this might do a lot uh, for that as well. What do you think about that? I think, I think, um, you know, to, just to say <clears throat> a sexist statement, I think women are the, are better emergency managers because they're more, they're more instinctive collaborators and emergency managers about collaboration. And, and, you know, you get a lot of, a lot of men, uh, that want to come in and they and they're 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 focused on the command and control elements. They're always asking who's in charge and am I in charge or who's in charge and you know and, and I think a lot of times uh, you know a good emergency manager is coming into the job saying you know what are the problems and how can we solve them? I don't care who gets credit for it. You know we have to we have to fix this. And I, I think they're I, I think she's a fixer. I think women are again I think they're more skilled, more natural at 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 coordination, which is the mission of emergency management. So I think that that's, and you know, but it's, it's tough when you talk about FEMA. FEMA is, FEMA is a beast, you know, it's a monster. And, and, and the reason it's been, it's, it's a Frankenstein's monster has been crafted by Congress over, over many years. You know, it's got so many bosses and they all have, um, you know, assigned it this, this laundry list of responsibilities. You know, we, I, I you know, I kicked around that, that list uh, the other day, Todd, the, it actually came out of, uh, there was a great interview with uh, the outgoing FEMA administrator, Pete Gaynor, who, you know, I, I have a lot of admiration for, for him. He did a, did a great job, uh, you know, in, under the circumstances he was in, he had a, he had a tough boss, you know, when you, when you, when you, uh, not the DHS boss, but the ultimate, you know, boss boss was, a, I think was a, was a very difficult boss to be an emergency manager for a very difficult boss to coordinate for, because he just didn't play the rules of the game like, like uh, you know, you, you need your boss to do, right? I mean, you, you need your boss to be the lead communicator and the risk communicator. And you need your boss to be uh, understanding the need to, to bring together the nation, um, you know, uh, not only in, um, in the response, but at least to understand and have a shared understanding of, you know, what is this beast that we're facing that's called coronavirus and let's let's all come together as a nation and um you know that because the sum is greater than uh uh you know the 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 um than the individual parts and so if you bring them together and great leaders do that presidents have done that you know governors do that mayors do that uh but this 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 boss uh, president trump you know he had a different view of how that was done so it was a t very tough thing to figure out. But as he was leaving, he did an exit interview with Eric Holderman, you know, Disaster Zone. Eric has a, has a, has a column called Disaster Zone. I, I, I've read Eric for a long time. He's, a, you know, he's, he's also comes from the local emergency management side. And so he did this interview and, and Pete talked about, you know, you're, you're a little more um, honest in your exit interview, right? You don't mm -hmm. have to worry much about. So he talked about what FEMA does. You know, he talked about uh, that list of all of the things that FEMA does, and it's 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 just enormous. The the they the, what they have to do on a daily basis is enormous. They they run the largest flood insurance program in the world, yep. right? They they um, they are actively uh, managing six hundred plus declared federal disasters right now today. Six hundred. Can you imagine that, right? And so, um, and that's just the start. You know, they run ready.gov. They, uh, they, they're, respons they're responsible for continuity of government across the federal system and on and on and on. So how do they have time 
you know, to run response, to run a job. And that's, that's really, I think, the challenge that she has. And if you look at FEMA, uh, you know, you and I, Todd, we're, uh, I don't know if we're fans. I don't know what we are with FEMA, but we spent a lot of time watching it. We're FEMA watchers. Uh, and they've, they've, they've come under a lot of criticism uh, in their overseers, you know, GAO and, and these congressional committees. And they're all talking about, you know, you're understaffed. You need to staff up. You need to get more expertise in there. You need to, you need to uh, expand your, your personnel capabilities. And I think that's really, if I, you know, if I was the boss, I think, you know, because uh, Commissioner Criswell is not there yet, I think she has to be um, confirmed. That would be that would be one of my main uh, thoughts is, you know, how am I going to get some talent in there, you know, and build that big team as big as I can build it, as big as they'll let me build it to share some of the burden of this work. Mm -hmm. So much there's so much to do. And, and you know, and that's all on top of a of a nationwide pandemic response. Absolutely. You know, Brock Long talks about one of the issues with with FEMA is that, and you can see this with the new administrator coming in, is that there's a gap in between when somebody joins FEMA as like an entry-level emergency manager, works their way up, and they get to a point to where they're at the ceiling, and they have to leave the organization. And maybe it's not a bad thing, right? Maybe it's not a bad thing for them to leave the organization, go work in local government for a little while, and they come back. Or they go work in the private sector for a while and come back. But there, there's there's like the gap between that ceiling and going up to the next level. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, and, and other organizations don't do that, right? If we take a look at the first response organizations, and, and Eileen makes a point too. Uh, she says a lot of original, original emergency managers come from uh, first responder agencies. And, and, and you're right. And, and outside just the, the, the alpha male orientation of it, it it's also the the idea, though, is that they're used to the ladder that they can climb and start off as a, as a, as a firefighter, entry-level firefighter, and at the end of your career, you're, you're the commissioner or you're the chief, right? And FEMA doesn't have the ability to do that. And we don't see that a lot in general in emergency management jobs throughout the United States, right? You know, you, I mean, there's some larger agencies, but it, it seems to be that there is that, that ceiling of, of leadership that's, that's placed upon emergency managers. And I think that's one of the things that we as, a, as an organization, we as a, as a profession need to crack and, and to be able to, to, to step up because, yeah. you, you know, you, you see uh, on the news, right? You take a look at, you know, whatever alphabet news that you watch um, and, and you see them bringing in like Bratton or, or, or other uh, big name police chiefs, right? Um, you see them bringing in, you know, um, sheriffs from across the country. You see them bringing in, uh, those type of people, but you never really see them bringing in former uh, emergency managers to talk about disaster response during disasters, you know, and I don't think it's even on their radar, you know, and that's one of the things that we have to do better um, as a profession to, to really get ourselves out there as that, as that subject matter expert to be brought in to talk about problems that are happening. I, I think that's so right. And, um, you know, um, there was just a, an appointment in, in 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 Iowa, you know, and I should I should have these these this stuff. I should do my homework and have these names in front of me. But there was a gentleman that was just uh, just uh, appointed by the governor of Iowa to uh, to 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 head 
the Iowa Department of uh, Homeland Security and Emergency Management. I don't remember the gentleman's name, but he was uh, he was a counselor to uh, the governor, and he was a commissioner of of a couple of other agencies. So he wasn't a career emergency manager. You know, he was somebody that had come in and and worked on behalf of the governor during the coronavirus crisis and some other things. And so he was a he was an insider, you know, a government fixer essentially, and um, appointed into that job. And that that's not that's not that uh, unusual, right? That that uh, you know that, that that these these governors appoint um, people who who are just fixers into that job. And I think that that um, isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, it doesn't mean it's just like when you when when a when a first responder becomes the boss. You know, there's there's plenty of former fire chiefs and police chiefs that are that are that are unbelievably uh, uh, um, effective emergency managers. But but it's 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 not necessarily so, right? I mean, do you have all of the skills and do you have the understanding it takes to to run all the aspects of the agency, right? And and so, but but you're right, Todd. We're our own worst enemy. We are we are abysmally bad when it comes to communicating. Um, you know, our value proposition to, to those governors, you know, I mean, those governors should be saying, you know, they should, they should, they should have in their, in their, in their heads, a list of two or three or even more, you know, seasoned emergency managers that could that could fill that spot. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to talk um, about what emergency managers can do going forward with, with COVID. The Outer Limit Supply Company was founded on the idea of providing high-quality first aid kits. Their goal is to supply the life-saving equipment you'll need to mitigate the majority of injuries often seen during austere times. From minor injury on an outdoor adventure with your family to your team responding to a major traumatic event, Outer Limit Supply has the kits to manage most situations, providing practical, user-friendly first aid kits that anyone can use. Enter EM Weekly, all capitals, at checkout and save 20% off your total purchase. Go to www.outerlimitsupply.com today. That's outerlimitsupply.com. Now, Kelly, I don't know about you, but I'm a I'm a gear guy. I, I, I just have tactical nylon one on my ears. My wife so much says that she wants me to... Uh, you know, like get rid of some of the stuff. And, but I, I have to get the perfect bag and I found it. It's a VanQuest bag. And uh, my VanQuest bag, I carry it every day. I, I love it. Uh, on the inside of it is it's bright orange so I can find stuff with my, with my bad eyes, you know, in the middle of the night. I don't know if you guys have ever been deployed and you're trying to look for stuff and, and uh, you're going through it and you have your flashlight and you can never find stuff in a, in a timely manner. But VanQuest has solved that by putting a liner inside of it that's uh, bright orange. So you can find it, uh, find the stuff that you're looking for. So if you want a VanQuest bag, check them out. Go to VanQuest.com. And uh, for checkout, you can have VanQuest, <laughs> but EM Weekly, uh, EM5 Weekly, I'm sorry, uh, all capital. And you will get a 10% discount on your total order from VanQuest.com. So Kelly, tell me about COVID response and what, why should emergency managers uh, be involved. Well, I'll tell you a quick story. I'm not going to leave any names. Uh, leave the innocent uh, uh, safe, right? So I have a friend of mine, emergency manager at a uh, state university, and he back six months ago was talking about, hey, 
We should really start talking about planning for pods. We're going to have to be using them here shortly. Um, they kept pushing off. The, the the health department kept pushing off. And all of a sudden, uh, you know, mid-December, just before the holidays, everybody's scrambling because they're like, hey, we're going to start doing a pod. Let's pull it out. Uh, we've been exercising them for, for a long time. Uh, we've used them for fl uh, for flu vaccines and whatnot. Why are we struggling with this? This does not make sense to me. You know, I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. I'm not in the field, so I, I can't say what you guys are doing wrong or nothing. But I'm saying it just doesn't make sense on, on the surface of why we're struggling with putting a freaking pot up when we practice it all this time. It's just, you know, it's mind-blowing. And, you know, uh, I was, uh, you know, I spent 10 weeks in the New York City Emergency Operations Center after 9-11. Um, after and, uh, you know, we were there about uh, uh, three weeks. And um, all of a sudden, you know, somebody dropped, um, you know, five envelopes full of a granular um, form of anthrax into a mailbox in Princeton, New Jersey. And we had the anthrax attacks, right? And you know, they sent them to the New York Post and NBC News and 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 the National Enquirer and, um, you know, and and um, that was a wake up call. So you know, the the since that time in New York and I know I know everywhere, you know, there's been an a, an extraordinary amount of time and effort placed into how you um, distribute, whether it be antibiotics or, or vaccines to, uh, you know, mass prophylax the population in, in a matter of hours and days. And, and I have to, t I, I just have to get this out, Todd, because, you know, I don't know how many hours I spent in pod meetings, but because we didn't use it, somebody has to give me those hours of my life back. I need them back. I mean, like who can give those? Cause if you, you know, if you use them, then you can say, okay, it was all worth it. But, but, and, 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 you know, and I've been asked that question a dozen times, 20 times over the past six months, what happened to all those pod plants? You know, and, and in New York, and, and a lot of folks in, in, in New York City, New York City Department of Health and Mental Hygiene, there's a, they, they have a program, very well-developed program. It was run by a gentleman named David Starr. A lot of folks know Dave. And that, that program, uh, it, it ran massive exercises. It has very well-developed plans. And... Um, you know, and 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 why why none of that was used is is sort of a mystery. The only thing I can say, and I don't I don't want to speak for New York because I don't know the the story in New York. I don't know what happened, but but um, I I think it it could be in a lot of jurisdictions that um, people waited. You know, they had the plans and they had the teams, and maybe they got a little uh, stale. Maybe they hadn't met in a while, and they were waiting to see what was going to happen. And then, so by the time that there was a need, maybe, maybe events overtook them. And, and, you know, the, these, these local elected officials said, no, we're going to go in this direction because I want to do this quick, you know? So, uh, but, but I don't know. I mean, I think if you had that plan and you had the pods uh, and you had turned all of that on before it was needed, you know, maybe, maybe uh, some of it had, would have been used by now, but That's it's, it's, you know, no, but that's a, that's the thing that drives me crazy is, is that as emergency managers, we should be leaning forward on everything, right? We should be ahead of that eight ball, leaning forward, and 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 having the decision makers to be able to say no, let's pull back or whatever, but having that stuff ready to go, 
right? At, at what time in any training that you've ever done uh, or, or any exercises or any actual events that we've ever done, have we not leaned forward? Um, and, and I mean, I know we've had some disasters where FEMA wasn't leaning forward, but that's because they weren't allowed to. That's a whole different story, right? But now they do, right? Even with Maria, they were leaning forward. They had stuff over there already before the storm hit in Puerto Rico. You know, so leaning forward is something that we do. And it seems like with these pods, I don't know what happened where the communication broke and came down. I, I, and, the, and the no one was, I should say nobody, because I don't know about every single jurisdiction. But very few prominent jurisdictions were leaning forward on this. And I think that's part of the reason why we're having such a problem with the vaccine rollout. I don't know. This is just my opinion. If you, if you guys differ on that, please tell me in the comments um that you're that you're differing on 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 that but what do you think Kelly? am i, am I off on this am, am i wrong I, 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 that that's my that's my take on it it, it, it really is and you know uh, i'm kind of uh you know i'm unfortunately I'm, I'm in this sort of back and forth on linkedin on on one of my posts yesterday i i posted one year ago we activated you know and uh there's some experts there some some uh, industry experts some medical intelligence experts and they're all like um, they're all like, what was your trigger? And I said, you know, we didn't have a trigger. We were, we were, you know, we were just, you know, uninformed emergency managers that heard that there was a, that there was a new virus of which there was no known human, human immunity. And we said to ourselves, why would that not come and, and overtake, you know, you know, New York state and New York city? Why, somebody tell me why not? And, um, they're like, well, you guys, you know, we were warning you, we were telling you, and 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 this is a classic case. And I, I've uh, when I when I talk to people about this, you know, in public and public speaking, you know, I, I go back to Taleb, right, with the with the black swan. And what Taleb says is, you know, after big disasters, people rewrite history. They talk about all these things that that, that they talk about how you know they they what do you call it? Uh, they have twenty twenty hindsight. They talk about oh, we were. We were ready. We knew it was coming. We we sounded the alarm. And I'll tell you right now, when we activated one year ago, they there was these experts were not sounding the alarm. They were not. They were all talking this job away. They were talking about all the differences in China and how those people were heavy smokers and how, you know, it was it how it wasn't coming. You know, and an emergency manager, if I have an expert that's 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 writing papers or 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 uh, declaring that this thing is coming. My life is easy because I get people in a room and I say, look, this is what the experts say. This thing is going to hit us. And they weren't there. And, and they, they, these experts were all, uh, you know, and they were all talking the job away. And now, but again, everybody now that I, they're all pinging me now. They're like, oh, no, we warned you. We told you. And, and I'll tell you something. That's crap. And that's the reason, by the way, emergency managers, you know, axiom number one, never Never trust the experts, right? Never trust them. I mean, you know, we make those judgment calls. We assess and we activate based on that risk. And you know, I'm not an epidemiologist, but if someone tells me there's a there's a there's a virus that has no immunity that's spreading like wildfire through central China, I'm going to activate for that. And and you know, and so I, but I do think that because there was so much confusion and so much talking. A lot of emergency managers waited and maybe they waited too long and maybe they didn't have all of the working groups in place. And then when it was too late, you know, and they started to turn it, turn it all on, things just were, was, you know, things were moving too, too fast at that point. And maybe, maybe they got overtaken. I don't know. I mean, I wasn't in the room for that and I don't have any personal knowledge of that, but 
you know, you, you mentioned that Todd, maybe, maybe we did it. Maybe we weren't proactive enough. And, and that's kind of my sense. <clears throat> Excuse me. Absolutely. You know, and, and leaning forward, like before, go back to that for a second. I, I'd have to say, I, I disagree with you a little bit, Kelly, on the fact that I think people were sounding the alarm in the sense that something may come, maybe not knowing what the, what this coronavirus necessarily was, because we, we did have, and do have, we call it a pandemic flu, right? That was our big, our big scare. We're, like we always fight in like the last battle. So, you know, we're looking at 1918, we're fighting that, that battle still. Right. And, and, uh, so we have the pandemic flu plans, you know, the colleges, universities have communicable disease plans specifically for most likely going to be like uh, measles, mumps, rubella issues or something like that that have gone through, um, you know, you know, you know, so we do, we, we have talked about that. And, and again, though, this is where, where I want to say where we, we made the mistake. We have these plans in place. Right. We understand them, but we are afraid to pull the trigger on them, maybe because you know, there wasn't a, 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 something enough for somebody to go into the room, an emergency manager to walk into the room with the experts saying, hey, you know, uh, Mr. Mayor, you know, Mrs. Mayor, right. um, you know, this is what we need to, this is what we need to, to do. Here's the reason why we need to execute this plan. Um, and, and, and we were kind of, uh, um, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, um, I, I just something popped up and it just distracted me from my conversation here. But Eileen says, um, "Did universities and colleges EMs react faster? They they may have because that's going back to that and it's going back to the whole plan. Walking into the president of the university or the college and saying, hey, 'Hey, we're we're seeing this happen over here, um, and uh, we need to react to it.' And I will tell one story. This is a personal story, so I I'm 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 free to to share this." So I was actually working for a, uh, a college. <clears throat> I was talking to the administration, um, not necessarily about about pandemic flu, uh, but just about leaning forward and having um, professors uh, putting all of their classes online, um, even if they weren't going to teach online. Um, and I got so much pushback from the VP of instruction saying how, oh, there's union issues that are going on here. Professors don't want to. Uh, teach online. They don't want to put their stuff on there. They're, they're afraid of technology, whatever their excuse was. They had a laundry list of them, right? And I was telling them, I said, look, here's the deal. If we have, in my end, in my eyes, I was thinking earthquake, right? If we have an earthquake and we can't get back to the classrooms for whatever, we can still do instruction via online. It's very, I mean, it's, it's years and years of, of, of online education. And uh, we can still give services to our students, which they're paying for. Uh, and to be able to graduate on time with enough contact hours, a lot of pushback on that. And then when this when COVID broke out um, and they started going online, everybody was scrambling to put classes online. And I think I don't understand why we can't get people. And I think maybe it goes back all the way to the preparedness stuff, right? We fight for residents to be prepared for disasters. I don't know how we can uh, have administrations be more prepared uh, for these events because they're there. None of these should be secret. Right. I mean, we've we've known about pandemic flu for at least 100 years. Um, you know, we've had people planning for it and so and so. And, and I know I'm talking to the choir here, but I, I just needed to you know, say I think a little bit. I, I disagree with you when no one says that we do lean for we do understand what's coming. But you're right in the sense that we didn't have enough evidence, science evidence here to, to say, hey, uh, let's go forward with it. And then one last thing, I'll give it back to you to lab. Right in his book, Anti-Fragile, 
talks about the fact that we always are looking for evidence before we make decisions. But by the time we have the evidence, it's too late to make the decision. Right. No, and, and you know, I, I think we're in agreement, you know, um, and it goes back to this thing, you know, I, I posted yesterday again about, I just posted our first situation report from the 27th uh, of January in 2020. And uh, the first question was, what was your trigger to activate? And, and I think that is the, um, the problem. You know, I think in a lot of cases, a trigger is, um, is unachievable. I think there's a lot of people waiting for triggers that never get reached. And especially, you know, especially, you know, in, under blue sky, you can't, you can't conceive of every trigger. So you have to assess every situation on its merits right now. And so, you know, and it goes back to what you said, Todd, you activate your plan. You, you say, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, you know, this is, this is our plan. We worked our plan. I'm turning on the plan. And, and you don't wait to get all of the evidence and you don't get a consensus around that. You don't, you don't wait for a trigger. You just turn it on. And once you turn it on, you can always turn it off. But if, but if it's not on and you need it, now you're behind the job. So it's, it's not waiting for permission. It's not, it's not asking the boss. It's telling the boss. And the boss can always say no. The boss right. can say, we're not ready. Let's turn it off. But then now it's the, now it's on her or it's on him. It's their issue. So, but you've done your job. You know, I was in a, a tabletop exercise many years ago with uh, another former FEMA administrator. And he said, he said, you know, uh, I don't remember what you, we were talking about, but he said, you are not paid to be an optimist. As an emergency manager, you are not paid to be an optimist. What he means by that is you are paid to be a pessimist. You're paid to think worst case. So think worst case and act worst case and everybody else can turn it off. But, but you know, if you think and act worst case, you, you have less, there's less likelihood you're going to get behind the job. You're going to so, get, get overwhelmed. Uh, no, absolutely. I agree with you that. <laughs> it's, it's funny that you're right to be that, to be that. They, they, you know what they say about um, optimistic sailors, right? They'll end up drowning because their boat sinks, right? You have to be a pessimist when you go into the ocean because if not, you're going to end up dying. So um, Michael says, says, uh, we mentioned in a prior discussion, I was challenged too many times for leaning too forward and and activated too early. Um, And and yeah, I've had that problem too, where you you pull the trigger early to activate and and people get all upset with you because uh, you think you activated too early. And then, uh, you know what I say to that? I say, embrace it embrace it and talk to it and say, yes, I'm guilty of that. Yes. That's what you paid me for. Did I overreact? Yes. You pay me to overreact because there's only two ways this thing's going to go. There's only two ways. There's not people because everybody, so everybody thinks there's a third way. What's the third way? The third way is that we get it right, that we activate right on time and we are able to scale up on time and we have all the stuff we need when we need it. Guess what? Can't happen. It's never going to happen. So it, you're either going to have too much, you're going to activate too early, you're going to throw too much at it, or it's going to go the other way where you're, you're going to activate too late, you're going to have too little, you're not going to have enough. Those are your two choices. So, so you pay me to overreact. I'm going to overreact. I'm going to throw too much at it. And you, know, you can always turn it off. And someone says, well, you overreacted. You, you, you anticipate too much. And I, and, and I say, guilty. Right. Guilty as charged. That's what, you know, and if you want another emergency manager that doesn't do that, you know, be my guest. And guess what? That's the one you're going to, that's going to, that's, that's going to 
you know, get caught short. So Michelle asked the question, it's, it's, uh, she says, is it because we never had to use these plans? And she goes on to yeah. says, with Black Swan events, they're too unrealistic for the average individual to accept. And I, I could agree with the idea, Michelle, about the unrealistic aspect of the Black Swan. There's a book, um, and I know Dan's out there, if you could put it in there, it's something like uh, regarding like the limits of imagination or something like that. That's the only thing that keeps us from doing better. Dan, if you could put that book up, and that would be great. But um, the idea here is, that, yeah, I mean, and, and Eileen kind of goes into this idea that we're paid to go into the deepest, darkest recesses of our brain and pull out the worst nightmares. And I think that those two things together is that when we do these drills, right, we do exercises, how many times have you been told, oh, take that take that out of the, uh, of the measles because it's so unrealistic, you know? And we joke about the ICS 400 class where you're at the state fair, the senator's coming who's running for president, and the train derails and the floods happen at the same time. And people go, oh, none of those things are all going to happen at the same time. Well, folks, I think we're seeing like that happen all at the same time. But we have a COVID happening, a political uh, elections going on, civil unrest across the nation, you know, um, and, and all that happened all at the same time. Oh, plus in California, you have fires. And on the East Coast, you have tornadoes or hurricanes coming in where you have to evacuate entire cities, right? And when will that ever happen in, in a disaster? Well, it's happened, right? And so we have to we have to think those worst case scenarios, and, and and how do we lean forward on those? So I I I just I want to stay on that a second because I I think it's so important, and 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 you know I mean you know Todd, that's the reason that, that you know we get along so well because we think alike. But you know I, I you know I, I'm a I'm a I'm a paranoid person, right? I'm a catastrophist. I mean, my, 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 it's in my genes. My, my grandmother was that way. My mother was that way. And so I'm that way. So I'm a natural emergency manager. I'm paranoid. I'm a professional warrior. And as Eileen said, you know, I have these, these worst case scenarios, these, 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 these terrible scenarios in my mind. And my job is to take them out and to put others into that scenario, right? What's the job of the emergency manager? If they're not running a job, you need to be taking your planning teams and you need to be throwing them into those very difficult scenarios. And, and when, when they're like, Oh, that wouldn't happen. And, and, and you, you know, th this is not realistic and that's, that's, that's too much. There's, you know, we, we always have one phrase for that and it's, you know, don't fight the game. Don't fight the game. You, that's my game. You, you want to have your game. You have your game. This is my game. So just play the game. That's what you're, that's what you're up against. What are you doing right now? And that's, you know, if you do that with your organizations enough, they, they, they start to understand it and they, st and they stop fighting the game and they let themselves go. And I'll tell you, it's, there's no better benefit to the organization than to throw these folks into these very rich, richly detailed, challenging scenarios and have them, and have them talk about what they're doing right now. Uh, and that, that's the best thing you can do for them. Absolutely. Kelly, you and I could talk about this all day long. Um, we're here at the hard stop of the, uh, of the show and uh, we're going to have to let you go, but we let's, let's schedule this again. And I promise you next week I will have my chief's hat on and I will be gladly to I'm going to be checking, man. Checking. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, congratulations on the chiefs for uh, making it to the Super Bowl for two years in a row. Uh, May Mahomes uh, have a great game for you, Kelly, uh, for all those uh, Tom Brady fans out there. Uh, you know, whatever. Okay. And uh, we'll, just, <laughs> we'll, just leave it, we'll just leave it at that. 
Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today. Without you, I, I, I couldn't have such a great conversation. And uh, please join us next week. Until then, stay safe, stay hydrated. Follow us on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, your favorite podcast player. And uh, take care.